Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I've invited author Paulette Kennedy back to the show to talk about my favorite gothic trope, haunted houses. You all know Paulette's book, Parting the Veil, which is a wonderful haunted house book that I encourage all fans of gothic fiction to read. You can order your copy of Parting the Veil using my bookshop.org link to support the show, as well as independent bookstores nationwide. That's at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. You can also help out the show by following She Wore Black on Twitter and Instagram and leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Now on to the show. Well, welcome to the show, Paulette. Thank you, Agatha. Thanks for having me again. Well, I was very, very excited to talk to you today. This has been a week, I tell you. Um, the week yeah. of this recording, the big decisions came down, and I think I really, really needed this time with you. So I appreciate you taking the time out to come on and help help me talk about haunted houses and make me feel better because I love a good haunted house. <laughs> yes, a good haunted house story is a great distraction. <laughs> yes, yes. And you wrote mm-hmm. a wonderful haunted house story. So I can't Thank wait you. to dive in with you. Um, so let's just start off with the basic idea of what does a haunted house mean? Why are we so interested in haunted houses? You know, I think there are lots of reasons. I think uh, especially during the pandemic, um, you know, we were stuck in our houses yeah. for so long. And so I think that we kind of saw a little bit of a renaissance of not only Gothic fiction, but haunted house stories during yes. that time period. Because when you're in your home all the time, you start to notice things that you never really noticed before. <laughs> and Is that ever true? <laughs> you know, creepy sounds and just the isolation. You know, I think one of the things uh, that makes Gothic fiction and haunted house fiction so intriguing is just this, this thought of isolation, whether it's a castle by the sea or a house out in the country um, that's off by itself with only like a pole light lighting up uh, the yard at night. I mean, that alone is is kind of just a, a creepy like scenario, a creepy setting. Like we never know what goes on behind closed doors. And I think the haunted house um, is a good conduit for like imagining all sorts of sinister things and romantic things and just all kinds of interesting tropes that can come out of that haunted house vehicle mm-hmm. or story. I've heard Isabel Gañas and some other people talk about how it has a lot to do with agency as well, you know, cause it's the place where we're supposed to be safe. And as someone, I mean, you know, I'm going to give you some good solid science here. I am a cancer and therefore I am an introvert that loves my house. <laughs> You love your shell. That's the solid science right there, right? Um, But I, you know, I live that Hufflepuff life when and whenever I can, as far as like, I just love being in my house and cooking and gardening and sewing and reading and just doing anything here. I, of course I go out into the world and I like going out into the world and I love hiking and all of that, but this is my sanctuary and it's, it's really all of our sanctuaries, right? That's the appeal Mm -hmm. of a home. And so when your home doesn't feel safe anymore, that's dread and that's scary and terror and interesting. And then part of it is, well, how do we overcome that? Mm 
And, you know, as an only child, I spent a lot of time at home, especially Gen X were left alone a lot. In addition to being an only child, I mean, Poltergeist was playing on a loop on HBO in the eighties. Yes. (laughs) You know, that was probably my first big introduction into the idea of a haunted house. What was yours? Do you remember? Um, I think one of the first movies that I remember seeing about any kind of haunted kind of situation was the Amityville Horror. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, of course, that was more of a demonic possession type story, which, you know, I think that there are so many parallels between a ghost story and like the demonic possession. Um, So that was one of the first movies I remember watching. But one of my all-time favorites, it was a miniseries. And so it wasn't ever released in the theaters, but it was, and this helped inspire, this is something I haven't really talked about, but it helped inspire Havenwood Manor a little bit and the story in Parting the Veil, um, Rose Red by Stephen King. (gasps) Have you ever? I've never seen it. Yeah. So it's it's a miniseries. I think it was in three parts, maybe two. Yes. I remember it it coming out. Yeah, in the early 90s, I believe. So I was, I was a teenager by this point. But I think it's based on a a novella of his, which is basically a diary um, in the form of this young wife who's brought to this beautiful house. And it's kind of based on the Winchester mansion, this house is and and her husband keeps building and renovating this house. And it's very haunted. And you know, I think Crimson Peak kind of maybe pulled a little bit of inspiration mm. from that too. It's kind of like that universal story of yes. like the young young bride, and, and we see this in the Hacienda too, like with uh, the young bride coming to to the house and and her husband introducing her to this house, and she has all these hopes and dreams of it being this wonderful sanctuary, and then it starts turning against her. And right. I think it's a timeless trope because you know, as women, you know, our agency. Um, it's been a difficult year yes. for us. <laughs> it's been a difficult Week. four years. Yeah, but of course, yeah, just in general, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so all of this, all of these universal stories of the home that is meant to be a sanctuary turning against you um, and having that be kind of an archetype, because I think there's the Jungian archetype too that comes into play. And that was definitely part of Parting the Veil. Um, I, I put that into play with intention. Yeah. And so it became a conduit for Eliza to um, address her grief and her trauma. And I think that houses can represent a lot of things. They're, they're a very heavy symbol. Mm-hmm. Well, what you're saying too, I mean, I wonder how much now I want to go and, and research anything Stephen King might've said about that, because I wonder if how much he pulled from Rebecca, because I know Benicio del Toro said that he very specifically pulled from Rebecca for Crimson. Yeah. And so I'd be, I mean, because that's now so many novels refer to that in their writing. I mean, and they're very open about like, well, Demarie, of course, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, Hitchcock used Demarie more than a few times for his work too. I mean, he used her stories directly. Um, so I just, and it's so, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I was like, I just love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do too. And it was so interesting about Hitchcock too. And I I love Hitchcock's movies. Um, the man himself was rather problematic and yeah, it, to me, it's kind of ironic because 
Daphne du Maurier wrote about misogyny yes. <laughs> so well and, and so nuanced is, and like everywhere. And then here's Hitchcock, you know, just like <laughs> hijacking all of her work for his movies. Uh, it's like, yeah, this, this is the man, you know, that I, I warned you about. <laughs> yes, exactly. But yeah. But yeah. And Rebecca for sure. Like, I mean, Rebecca was a huge influence on Parting the Veil as well. It's just mm-hmm. that classic. All of du Maurier's work is a huge influence on and an inspiration on my own. Well, so let's look at some of these classics because I was talking about Rebecca, Mm -hmm. but you know, like Victorians loved ghost stories. I mean, there's, we have a rich pool of ghost stories or haunted house stories to pull from just from the Victorians alone. And you and I are going to have recommendations of more contemporary work, but you know, the woman in white turn of the screw, uh, Christmas Carol, um, and even haunting of Hill house is a classic at this point, you know? Yeah all of those are haunted houses, even with different purposes. Yeah. Even the secret garden, you know, that's, that's, yeah, that's a haunted house story too. You know, the crying child and yeah, who is this child? And, you know, it's, it's a fascinating look into like, you know, that trope as well. But going back to agency, I mean, the Victorians were a very like culturally restricted that's a very culturally restricted time period. And even legally, like the LGBTQ community, I mean, though they were going to be lawfully punished for just living their life. And so you have a lot of like queer manifestations of haunted house stories, um, even if they're subtle or hidden, Yeah, you know, in Victorian haunted house stories, it's just kind of interesting um, when you look at, and then of course there you get the women in the, like running out on the moor in the nighty or the, when all of this goes back to agency and mm-hmm. lack of control over your life. And it, it keeps coming back to the, those haunted house stories. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the haunted house is like, it's a massive symbol, I think, of just oppression, mm-hmm. um, imprisonment, uh, misogyny, like there are so many ways that that house can represent uh, some of the negative aspects of like, what what's happening in the culture. And just the Gothic in general, the Gothic tends to always have a renaissance during times of political upheaval. Yeah. And, you know, we've definitely had that in yeah. the past decade. So it's, it's not a surprise to me that the haunted house trope and, you know, like Wuthering Heights, for example, like, I love that story. And I love it partially because like, there are no real heroes in that story. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Catherine's ghost is, you know, terrifying. And we don't really know what happened exactly you know we know a lot of what happened between she and Heathcliff but like what like their relationship is so toxic you know was so toxic in that in that novel and I really feel like the Brontes were ahead of their time and Jane Eyre especially you know like was ahead of its time and being like a feminist and you know definitely not intersectionally feminist uh, but very like much a vanguard of like using that ghost story using that haunted house story as a conduit and we see that repeated all the time in classical literature what's interesting to me too is the different ways that people can use it to say to say different things like so sometimes you know it's a ghost in the house other times it's the house itself 
So like with Shirley Jackson, it's the house itself, you know, that that has control over the situation, but with other stories, it's a ghost. And, you know, that's where you start to go. Well, is it an angry ghost? Sometimes it's a sad ghost. And sometimes it's a a ghost that doesn't even know it's a ghost, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's just so many different angles. Yeah, and I love it when an author will take that and subvert that like classic ghost story to be something else, and that that happens, and it will just be us with Joe Kaplan. Like, she does a fantastic job of subverting that haunted house. Like, the ghosts are not what you expect them to be. Uh, They're they're kind of almost like residual hauntings in her book, and so but there are some, there's some sentience there as well. And, and she gets into that and I don't want to give away the plot, but yeah, I love a ghost story that surprises you. And like, I think imparting the veil mine's pretty straightforward ghost story. Like these are ghosts that were brought about by traumatic events, but yeah, Hill house, definitely sentient carnivorous house. Like ah. <laughs> just out to get you once to eat your whole. So I love that trope as well. And House of Leaves is very much that way too. I don't know if you've ever read House of Leaves, which we'll talk about later. Paulette, but I'm going to make a confession that I hope does not take away my Gothic card, but <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read House of Leaves kind of for reasons. And those reasons are silly. <laughs> I'm going to admit them, which is when it came out, I was working in a bookstore and Mm -hmm. in those days in particular, lots of book snobbery was happening. And maybe I inadvertently did this, uh, the book snobbery myself, even though I hate that, but like we had a, like only the biggest douchebags were like coming in going, yeah, house of leaves, you know? And it was just like the same guys like that they all got tribal tattoos and all of this stuff without thinking about what they were doing. And yeah, I can't. Yeah. And they're, you know, the red hot chili peppers. I'm like, I can't because I know who likes them. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I kind of had some of the same reservations and I don't like, I mean, definitely written by a white guy. Yeah. That's the other thing. I'm like, "Eh." yeah, but to me, I I need to let that go probably and visit this book, (laughs) but I just, I have a hard time getting that out of my head. I'm admitting it. No, I, I totally agree with you. And like, I had a lot of the same reservations. I read it last summer, so it took me forever oh, to wow. read it too. I purposely avoided like all reviews and I didn't want to come to it with any kind of preconceived notions. Although I had heard plenty of talk about it. It's really creepy. The book is really creepy and we can get into this later if you want to talk about other things first, but. Oh, doesn't matter. I think it, it really deals with a uh, form in a really unique way and like. My favorite story out of the entire book is the the core story, which is about a um, a journalist who has left journalism because of a past wound and some trauma. He moves with his family to this small farmhouse at the end of a dirt road uh-huh. in the middle of anywhere U.S. And the house is just weird. There's something off about the house, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of one of the books that helped inspire my second novel, The Witch of Tin Mountain, which is Little Sister Death by William Gay, which is his take on the Bell Witch haunting. Mm. Um, but it, it's kind of that like unsettling, 
the house is bigger on the inside than it appears on the outside. It's the book is a project. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like something that you would go out in the hammock and just read for hours on end and get completely immersed. It's work. And so I think that's one of the reasons why people are so divided about it too. And there are definitely like a lot of stereotypes. This is like a nineties book. Like you can it totally is. tell. Yeah. yeah. Like this is like pre, like we, we just didn't, you know, know a lot about <laughs> how to write about things. And like, especially like you, that if you're going to read it, that's part of the issue with it. Um, and you're totally right. Like there is definitely kind of that type of bro dude that loves that book. And that kind of put me off of it for a long, long time. But like, I wanted to read it because it's kind of in the canon now. And I was like, I'm just going to suck it up and read it. And it's totally a project. Like I, it took me a month to get through this book. And that's very rare for me. I'm usually like read one book a week at least yeah. girl. And like, why am I, there were parts where I like, why am I still reading this? But then I like got to the end. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm glad I read it. You okay. know, it's yeah. Anyway, I probably said <laughs> way too much about that. <laughs> but you have like a whole insider, insider scoop on that whole thing. Cause you were a bookseller when it came out or like, were you a librarian? I was bookseller a bookseller when it came out. So I okay. was in graduate school to become a librarian. Ah. Um, so, but it was very like a prestige thing. Like it was a very specific crowd of people who came in for that wow. book and would ooh and ah over it and everything. Meanwhile, I had Rebecca <laughs> yeah. in my hands, which is different. That's all. That's all there is. Yeah. So. And I never exactly. shamed anybody for reading it and I don't plan to, but I just, it's just like, I'm like, I'm just not gonna. <laughs> so, I, and I yeah. hope no one judges me for that. So <laughs> I, um, I certainly don't. <laughs> I, so yeah, I love like also going back to like different purposes of the ghosts or different purposes of the house. Like in the case of Dickens with the Christmas Carol, like those are didactic ghosts in a way, you know, they're trying to teach him a lesson. And um, yeah. I think that's very interesting. And then you have like turn of the screw where you have like the creepy kids and I, Mimi, Mimi Matthews and I were talking about like how creepy kids freak us out more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> As far as like yes. tropes in a story go, um, you know, so I just, I love how there's like staples that we can always go back to and borrow from these like classic ones as well, but let's get into our rec. So you were starting okay. to talk about the first one with Joe Kaplan. Tell us about this. Yes. So, um, it will just be us. Uh, Joe was a big Shirley Jackson fan as Ooh. well. Yes. Well then sign and, me up. I didn't know this. Yes. <laughs> it's excellent. Um, her heroine is somewhat, uh, inspired by Mary Cat Blackwood. <laughs> yeah, uh, some of the similar personality quirks and things like that as Mary Cat. And Mary Cat is my all-time favorite gothic I heroine. So much. She is she's awesome. Um so I love Sam who is her heroine and in, in the book and it's basically about, you know, Sam lives in her ancestral home, um Wakefield Manor. Um it's at the edge of a swamp. And it's gradually, slowly sinking into the swamp, right? It's that beautiful decay, that yes. beautiful Southern Gothic decay, like that we imagine uh, about like Bayou country and such. And so um, her sister, who is somewhat estranged from Samantha, 
um, comes to the door one day and she's pregnant um, and she's fighting with her husband and she wants to come back home to Wakefield Manor and stay. And so this kind of sets a whole like series of, of events off that just really ratchet up the tension um, within the house. And it also stirs up some of the ghosts and some of the happenings um, and the, and the ghosts are really interesting because a lot of times they're kind of like a combination of like a past memory that is like on a loop. And so they don't really interact with the living that much. Wow. They just like go through their little loop, um, like a residual yes. haunting kind of situation. Um, but there is the spirit of this faceless boy. Speaking of creepy kids, <laughs> here you go. Well, but check like, my box for yes. that one. Yes. And so Sam is like, Sam is like pushed into this. She keeps having these disturbing visions about this boy. And she's terrified, you know, that her sister is going to bring her baby into this situation where this malevolent spirit is haunting the house. And always before the other ghosts at Wakefield Manor have fairly been hands-off but this one is personal this ghost seems personal and then there's like a tie-in with some of the like regional mythology about a witch that lived in the swamp and there's just all kinds of really really cool like subplots that happen throughout this book and let me tell you that ending <laughs> that ending gets to me still like it is a gut punch of an ending and Joe is just a masterful st storyteller. She she writes a lot of short stories. She's been published multiple multiple times in, in um, short story anthologies and literary journals. She's just a brilliant author. And her next book, um, When the Night Bells Ring, is going to be coming out this fall. And I had the opportunity to read that one early and blurb it, and it is phenomenal. And it's kind of a, a desert, old west style gothic. Wow. So I'm excited about that one too. It's completely different from it will just be us, but just as masterfully plotted and wonderful. But um, yeah, it will just be us is kind of a little bit like one of those quieter books that kind of flew under the radar, but like Joe sold film rights for this or eight, we, we share an agent and like she sold mm -hmm. film rights to this. Um, and so it hopefully will make it onto a screen at some point too, because it's going to make a brilliant movie or Netflix series. I, I just can only imagine Paulette, <laughs> all the possibilities. Yeah. I'm so bummed. I've never heard of, of her or her books. And I'm like, yeah. I'm sitting here going, how have I not? Yeah. <laughs> just another, like, you know, it's like, there's so many great books in the Midwest, as you know, from yeah. being a librarian and a bookseller yes. that, that don't maybe get a lot of like the marketing push that maybe they should get or deserve and so this book is definitely one of them um and it's one of those books that you can just completely immerse yourself into the atmosphere and this is let me see but where is it i get nothing yeah this is the yeah. Ooh, if i put it in front of my beautiful it's got mirrors yeah like yeah mirrors i love it <gasps> it's beautiful yeah i've got my green screen on so that, that's why it's hard that's, to see it will just be us it will just be us. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's just awesome. One of my all-time favorite books that I've ever read in the haunted house genre. I am looking forward to discovering Joe Kaplan. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. and this is why I have you on, and you know, I love like celebrating the midlist, you know, I love that because there's so yes. many wonderful things that people learn about 
only if someone's like told them or, you know, if somebody happens to feature it in a, in a random display or something, because there's these wonderful stories caught in the mid list, but you know how the industry works, you know, they only, and they have the agenda for those specific titles way in advance too. You know, Mm -hmm. they're rarely caught off guard as far as what gets all the attention. So thank you for sharing Joe Kaplan with us. I can't wait for all of us. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so speaking of that idea of, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I've talked about repeatedly on the show <laughs> and there's lots of things that are already getting attention. So I don't know how many times I've talked about Isabel Cañas. So I'm not going to talk about the Hacienda just because like, I always, like every episode I'm talking about the Hacienda <laughs> because it's well, one of my good top reason. five all time faves. Oh my oh. gosh that book I'm only halfway finished and I already don't want it to end I'm like I know this book has got to end at some point but I just don't want it to like her writing is so transportive it yeah her writing like there are a few authors that I read and Joe's one of them as well where I read their work and it's like it makes me really want to be a better writer yes like, I know I have a whole new standard yeah. <laughs> because of the hacienda yeah. yes Oh my gosh. It's like this congenial kind of envy that happens. It's like, I'm really happy that you can write this well, but I want to write this well too. Yes. 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 Well, and then there's authors. So yeah, there's ones I've talked about all the time. And then there's ones I know about, but I haven't read, not because I don't want to, but just because like either I'm reading for the podcast or just whatever you, you know what a TBR list is like. Oh yes. Yes. (laughs) And it's always getting added to. So I'm growing. Like I have Laura Purcell books. I just haven't read yet. And they're not even long. I should just try to carve out some time in the day. Um, but yeah. Laura Purcell and Wendy Reb are examples of writers out there who, you know, people love, they adore, they write great ghosts. Um, and Jennifer McMahon, I have like three hardcovers of hers and I haven't read them yet. Not because yeah. I don't want to, but because I just haven't gotten to them yet. Um, but I absolutely am like, excited I have a little break coming up I'm hoping to squeeze in at least one of hers you know that's <laughs> so, how I feel about Susanna Clark too like she's been on my TBR forever and I still haven't read Piranesi or any of like like her other work and I I, I like I want to yeah it's not yeah. that it's just like but an arc will come in you know how that is it's like you'll yeah. you'll get back to like your your pleasure reads and then like an arc will come in and, yeah. and you're I'm thrilled to get arcs like it's Absolutely. always such a such an honor to read something early and provide a review or a blurb for it but you know those those type priority over leisure reading so yeah yeah I have a quick Susanna Clark story I Mm -hmm. a long time ago in a land far far away (laughs) I had a public (laughs) access book show (laughs) and I got to interview Susanna Clark for that and yeah this was pre-YouTube and so somewhere there's a VHS tape of me interviewing Susanna Clark when she's touring for Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell her husband and her were the kindest people and delightfully British and it made me want to go back with them (laughs) I was like y'all are people this nice over there all the time because this is really nice (laughs) yeah that's wonderful they were delightful people I really enjoyed them it's so long ago I was like I had a public access book show <laughs> a long time ago. Um, so my first talk will be, even though I've talked about Simone St. James, I'm actually going to have her on the show. I finally like oh, nice. have secured Simone St. James. I'm very excited um, because, awesome. you know, I've read 
everything of hers. I picked up The Haunting of Maddie Claire. And I mean, I wanted to pick a single book to talk about with her, but I'm like, no, I have to talk about all Simone St. James books. Like I have that in my notes, like just all of them. Um, Because she knows how to tap into my id. She writes a fantastic haunted house story that's also sexy you know like and and it it's just it's not even just sexy it's just like the the romance is the nice balance to the terror she puts you through (laughs) with the haunted house and I love her pacing and um her characters and everything and what's interesting about Simone St. James is she has her first set of books which all take place in England between World War I and World War II. And I love every single one of those, but I also love her contemporary American stories. And I was like reluctant to start those because I loved her historicals so much, but I love her contemporary American stories just as much. And you can still see that they're both like the taste or or flavor or style or whatever you want to call it of Simone St. James is all there. it's clear that they are Simone St. James stories, even though the settings and times are wildly different. I don't know. I just so cool. Love them. Have you read any? No, she's one that's on my list too, to read. And I have not read her work yet. And everybody keeps telling you, you need to read, you need to read Simone St. James. And I want to, it's not that I don't want to. I don't know if you do, do you do audiobooks at all? I do. In fact, like that's how I'm reading the Hacienda right now. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you like audiobooks, um, The Haunting of Maddie Claire, I listened to, and that's what sucked me into Simone St. James for the rest of my life. So yeah. <laughs> um, because they have a good reader, because when a book doesn't have a good reader, it's not exciting. Um, right. And then I, I, I listened to all of them that were between World War One and World War II because her readers for those, she has Mary Jane Wells on two of them. Like oh, that's wow. quite a score is to get Mary Jane yeah. Wells to read your books. And so Mary Jane Wells reads two of those and it's just a delightful way to spend your time. Like, so if you're doing the dishes or traveling or whatever, pop those in and you're just, you're set. And I think Justine Eyre reads reads one of hers and I like Justine Eyre too, as a reader, but so those you can listen to, I would say pretty, you know, and enjoy them. I have not listened to her contemporaries. I've read those, but they, they were, oh, so good. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard really great things about the sundown motel. Oh my gosh. Well, I was actually going to single out Sundown as the one I was going to talk about because I'm always talking Mm -hmm. about The Haunting of Maddie Claire because that kind of ties in with you're the one who also recommended to me a long time ago and I've interviewed her for the show and listeners obviously loved her because she's got high ratings. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Awesome. I know, but uh, The Hitman's Daughter by Carolyn Topchan. Yes. Yeah. So that made me connect it to the Sundown Motel because they're both hotel stories and we all know The Shining and we all know the power like of hotel tells as a haunted house idea mm-hmm. because there's so many possible histories yes, that are absolutely. in that one place. Yeah. So the potential within a hotel setting is astronomical when it comes to what you can do with the ghosts. 
Yeah. I, I love the Hitman star. I could not put that book down. What like, a fun ride that was. Yeah. That was such a great ride. And I, I had so much stuff going on the week that I read that book that I had to put it down. Yeah. But if it weren't for that, I would have read it in one sitting. It's so good. And I cannot wait for the <gasps> next one. I know. I am just like, come on. <laughs> I'm in the same boat, Paulette. That was so yes. fun. That was such a yeah. fun ride. Oh, it really goodness. was. And, well, she, you know, she did such a great job of like adding a little bit of romance, like you were saying, you yeah. know, just that hint of romance in there. Like it doesn't have to be like an overriding plot point, but like, no, it doesn't have to be salacious even, but just no. to know that it's there because what it does as a reader is that it makes you feel safe in the context of the story. And if yes. you know that that romance is also has the objective of the happily ever after, then you feel safe as a reader. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't know where that's going to go, or if you don't know that that, like with Simone St. James, I always feel safe as a reader because not only yeah. is it going to resolve, but that element of romance keeps me feeling safe throughout the story in a Simone St. James. I know I'm safe. You know that's what I mean? I feel with Hester, you know, yes. Hester Fox's work oh. too. Like I know that you know, her, her characters are going to have a happy ending, you know, and, and that's something in my work too. Like, I want to always have that hope there. Like, yes. I, I don't want to there. I love literary fiction and I love like where you have an ambiguous ending right. and you have like, not the settled and a happy ever after means different things to some people. But for me, like if there's any kind of romantic element, I want my heroine and my hero to find some sort of happiness at yeah. the end. Yeah. Hester does that. She always has mm -hmm. an element of romance and she's talks yes. about how, and I think you and I talked about this too, but Hester specifically was the first person to mention this. And I've mentioned it several times in my podcast since always giving her credit because it's true there's so much to be gained from reading the genre of romance anyway, for any mm -hmm. writer, because there's so much character and story development that you have to know in a romance and writing romance. Um, she's like, it, writers would gain so much from reading more romance. And I think she's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think romance and mystery, those two genres like are, are must reads for any, any writer, yeah. no matter what you want to write, because there is just so much to be gleaned uh, from mystery and romance about craft yeah, and pacing and like yes. how to set up a plot twist and how to set up a romantic plot, you know, that tension that you need within a romance. Um, it's a necessary component. And, and like, if you read romance, you, you get all of that. And I, it's really frustrating to me when like people say, oh, you know, trashy romances and oh, it's things like that are, are less intelligent than like literary fiction, because it's so not true. It is, it is not true at all. It's not true at all. And literary fiction has to learn that basically they're a genre too. And they also yes. have their plot points that they hit, you know, they have yes. their own save the cat. So to pretend yeah. that they're anything, but is just nonsense, but and I, I love literary that do. fiction too. <laughs> yeah. I love literary fiction. I have lots of friends who write oh, it. Like sure. there's room for everybody at the table. You know? Yes, like, I know. But, yeah. but like, I, I guess what I'm just saying is like, we we're just always hit over the head even when you're pitching stories with, mm -hmm. you know, how literary something is. And I think things can be fun too. 
you know, and there's a place for that at the table. So, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, it takes just as much genius and intelligence and skill to craft a simple story told well, as it yes. does to create some complex BMF, like House of Leaves, you know, yeah. that, you know, like, it, one is not greater than the other. And yeah. like, it's just wonderful to read widely. Like I always tell uh, newer writers, it's like, that's the best advice that I can give you is to read everything that you can get your hands on Seriously. and try to learn something, whether it's something that you want to emulate or something that you don't want to emulate. Like you learn every time you pick up a book, it's part of writing. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have some more uh, Rex. You want to hit us with the next one? Yeah. Um, so one of my other wrecks is another kind of a midlist title, um, Don Kurtigich, and it is called And the Trees Crept In. Ooh. And going back to that carnivorous house kind of trope, uh, there is a an unforgettable house in this story. And this is upper YA. So that's the category. Um, and Don is just a brilliant author. And if you want an author who writes kind of in that mixed media format, who isn't Mark Danielewski, <laughs> Dawn is a great author uh, because oh. she is an artist as well. And so she contributes a lot of mixed media format to all of her novels and her audiobooks are brilliant as well. Polly Lee narrates her audiobooks. Oh, okay. And Polly Lee is an amazing narrator. Um, but so yes, to have a good reader. Yes. So valuable. Yes. Having good readers and good voice actors are just, it's amazing. So her um, haunted house book um, and the trees crept in. She also has another one called the dead house, which is also brilliant. Um, but it's just such a gorgeous, dark, beautiful novel. And it's about uh, two young girls, um, an older sister and so it's Scylla and Nori, and they go to their aunt's house in the middle of this dark wood that tends mm -hmm. to like feel like it's suffocating. And they have this beautiful, like blood red house, like in the middle of the woods, her aunt lives there. And at first they're escaping from a traumatic situation at home and they go to their aunts. And the thing about the novel that just really drew me in is how well Dawn crafts this atmosphere that just has you dreading like something isn't right and you know something isn't right and their aunt seems too good to be true and it's almost like a little bit it feels a little bit like a Hansel and Gretel kind of set up a bit <laughs> at first when the story begins but like there there's kind of like the Slenderman kind of story is kind of an offshoot too within this novel um and so there's this menacing presence in the woods, this faceless man. And I think the faceless motif is something else that is very creepy that yes. comes out in a lot of haunted house fiction, you know, the faceless ghost, the faceless yes. man, uh, because I think that allows us to project our own fears onto this, this entity. Um, but, you know, Scylla and Nori are trying to, you know, escape from a horrible situation at home. And so they're at their aunt's and the trees just keep, just like the title says, they keep creeping closer and closer and closer every day. And this house called La Bombe is just really, it's fascinating because it used, to, it was an orphanage for a short amount of time. 
And it was like a, a military hospital, I believe, mm-hmm. at one point in time. So there's like a lot of history there. It's been in the family for centuries. Yeah. And the story basically culminates in Scylla finding out what really happened with her family, what really happened at this house, and the origin of some of the hauntings that are happening at this house and I don't want to give anything away because it's one of those stories that has a really like profound plot twist in it and but it it's one of those that after I finished reading it I had a massive book hangover and like I just really had to sit with my feelings for a couple days after (laughs) after that (laughs) I understand I understand yeah I had yeah. to do that after the hunger. I don't know. I mean, that's not a haunted house story. It's, I guess, haunted prairie, but uh, yes. I had to do that with the hunger, just kind of sit with it. And um, all the good Indians. I don't know if you've read that. Oof. Um, that also not a haunted house story. Uh, that's a different kind of, of haunting, if you will, but uh, yeah, or a different type of horror, but I had to sit for a while and not touch yeah. anything and just kind of process what I was reading. I understand what you mean. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that one yet, but I've heard great things. It's also on my list. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, But as far as uh, the only good Indians, that's another one where the narrator was excellent, excellent reader. So that I listened to that one and it was very important for Stephen Graham Jones to get somebody that was um, you know, Native American heritage to read it. Yes. And he understood like the nuance of the voice and why it mattered and everything it was really well done. So if you're into audios. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I absolutely am. It's helping fill in my gaps in my TBR right now. It's <laughs> wonderful. Yes. <laughs> so my thing, and it's going to be sort of like where I did Simone St. James, it's going to be like basically anything Susanna Kearsley. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is, is because you can recognize a Susanna Kearsley novel and that they're very pretty. Have you ever read mm-hmm. any of hers? Yes. I love her work. Yeah. I think they're very yes. pretty and they're, and those ghosts are doing different work than your standard haunted house, haunted house stuff, because what she does is humanizes them in a way where even if they're not even aware that they're ghosts, she still has their backstory play an important part of the novel because they might be like their contemporary settings, which she does very often anyway, is put them in a contemporary setting, like the novels that will then have this historical element brought in via the ghost story, but it's this like trying to uncover what their story is. And it's Mm -hmm. also very beautiful settings and, you know, usually a hint of romance in there too. Um, They're very pretty novels and I love it. Like I love getting lost. I love getting lost in a Susanna Kearsley story, you know? So like when, when the shadow horses, um, there's a ghost haunting the land around the house um, Mm -hmm. because that land was once occupied by, by Roman soldiers. So it's the ghost of these Roman soldiers. And they're trying to communicate with, with the current characters. And I just think that's fascinating. Uh, but they don't even realize that they're dead. Like they, they, they just yeah. see them as people like, you know, so I just, I think it's interesting when you, like we were talking about early on in the podcast, when the ghosts can be serving different functions, they can all Absolutely. have, a, yeah. And she writes them in a way that's, um, I mean, there's a little bit of dread or spookiness, but not it's, it's her stories are very pretty. And I love, 
I love getting lost in a pretty Susanna Kearsley novel. Yes, so. I do too. And I think there's a place for all of that. Yes. You know, there's a place for the scary ghost. There's a place for the horror element. And, and, you know, that kind of brings me to like one of my other recommendations uh, recently, like the, the Curse of Morton Abbey by Clarissa Harwood. I'm looking forward to reading this. I haven't mm. read it. Yes, it, it's, it's a Jane Eyre slash Secret Garden uh, retelling. And like, I mean, hello. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's it's absolutely beautiful. And Clarissa is just such a phenomenal author. And talk about that romance. She and Mimi are friends. And like, they oh, write like- kind Even of, better. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, they have these beautiful like settings and this, like, it's this gorgeous abbey um, that her main character ends up going to and becoming like she's an attorney and she's a female attorney which was very rare at the time <laughs> in England uh, so Vaughn uh, she's a solicitor um, and so she's trying to get uh, the estate's owner's affairs in order so that he can possibly sell the abbey and she arrives and of course like in true Jane Eyre fashion like not everything is as it seems and uh she starts hearing strange noises in the night and exploring you know the house and uh, there are definitely some parallels with parting the veil too since they were both inspired by Jane Eyre uh, but there's also that romance that that beautiful romance in there and it's not a scary book like it it's very much a soft beautiful traditional gothic romance and it's just such a palette cleanse you know I mean sometimes we need that palette but sometimes yes. we read the darker stuff the stuff that scares us that makes us really uncomfortable but like Clarissa's writing is just it's still you know there's that that thread of darkness in there but it's just that hope and Vaughn is such a wonderful heroine she's She's a proto-feminist, like she knows what she wants in life. And there's some great disability rep in the novel as well. And it's just wonderful. I, I can't recommend it more highly. We did, our books came out within like a week or so of each other uh, last fall. And we did some cross promotion with one another. And Clarissa is just a lovely person on top of Aww. everything else, which, uh, you know, when you know an author is just a very kind, like genuine person. It just yeah. makes you love their work even more. So I just, I can't say enough good things. Well, now when you have her on the show, <laughs> I need to make that <laughs> Yes, happen. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. She, she's a great, like, uh, she would love that. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking earlier about Alma Katsu. So that brings me to my next story. Um, and I'm specifically going to talk about the deep because in, in sort of the way that that there is, you know, beauty in Susanna Kearsley novels, there's both beauty and terror in the deep. <laughs> so it's, it's a little, it, it's kind of bringing the, to the, the scary and the pretty together. And yes. have you read any Alma Katsu yet? Not yet. Okay. Although I, Joe. Buckle up. Uh, <laughs> sings her praises all the time so I've got to I've got to soon like oh, there's so many books I want I know. to read I know yes. that I know exactly what you mean I've got this gentleman <laughs> man's just calling me you know from my yeah. bookshelf um so the deep is Alma Katsu's like Titanic ghost story um oh. and what's interesting about it is that and I learned a history lesson my husband I went and asked him because he, of course
course he knows a lot about this part of history just because he's interested in um but i said did you know that there was a sister ship to this titanic that also sank and he Ooh. said yes and was able to spit out the name and i'm like ah. <laughs> like i didn't know that um but anyway so th the titanic which we all know sank also had a sister ship that was built identically but after the titanic sank they went and made the necessary changes to the sister ship i'm forgetting the name of it right now and i'm not holding the, the book in my hand um mm -hmm. but they went and made the necessary changes to the sister ship so that it wouldn't fall victim to the same problems as the titanic did but it sank anyway because it was a hospital ship in world war ii and mm. um there was like a torpedo or something that ultimately hit it um but what happens is and, and that's not a spoiler in that historically speaking we know that that's happened right so mm -hmm. the, the story um centers like a nurse that worked on the titanic and survived spent some time recovering from the trauma and then was asked to be a nurse on the sister ship oh wow so i know right yeah <laughs> and wow. then and then aside from just that there's external elements to the story that are also ghost stories if that makes sense that all kind of factor in and so it's it's a lot of things happening but it's also very it i mean it's all cohesive it all works together when you're reading and it makes sense i'm just i'm i guess mm -hmm. i'm making it sound more complicated than it is but um it's it's so it's it's pretty it's terrifying it's infuriating you know <laughs> because you're like all of these things were avoidable you know? yes <laughs> <laughs> um you know uh as with as with all of her historical fiction that covers things that were totally avoidable um but you know that's why we're interested in history right you know it's just kind of trying yes, to go back absolutely. and look at her, where we've been and what can we do what could we have done different and what can we do now to avoid that again but um mm -hmm. but anyway yeah if you're interested in like that whole element of history of the titanic and all of that and just kind of the idea i'm sitting here thinking how does alma do this the idea of connecting them to make these two sinking ships to make a, a single ghost story is amazing to me it was mind-blowing how that, she made that, that work so brilliant i i can't wait yes that's going to go up to the top of the list she's another person that makes me want to be a better writer you were talking about that like yeah. we both feel that when we read isabel ganyas i i read alma katsu and i'm like you feel like a fraud <laughs> yeah yeah so nothing brings the imposter syndrome out yeah more than reading a brilliant colleague's work yes. i can tell you like it's but I do, that is a, that is an example of a midless story with respect to, it came out right as the pandemic broke out, like it was published like right at that time. So people weren't able to go into bookstores in, in mass, like that we have always been able yeah. to, and, and just see displays and see promo and see all of these things. And there was a lot of expectations with this book now people have been figuring it out. Like over the last two years, people have been figuring out, oh, this is a neat book. Let me check it out. But it's taken a while for yeah. the momentum, I think, for this book to catch on um, or, or, or to really find its readership because of the pandemic. So I really, I encourage anybody that's interested in ghost stories and Titanic to go check it out. 
Yeah, I definitely will be one of them. Yeah, going back to like the secret garden comps and uh, retellings, I recently read an arc of um, the secret garden of Yanagi Inn by Amber Logan. You've got all and the good it, stuff. <laughs> I'm so excited about all she's an these. emerging gothic author. And wow, it's so good. Like the atmosphere is great. Uh, Amber has spent an extensive amount of time in Japan and it shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and her main character is an American um, who is given an assignment. She's a photographer and she's given an assignment shortly after um, her mother passes away to go to Japan and photograph this inn. Um, that is kind of a traditional Japanese inn that's kind of fallen into disrepair. Wow. And so she goes to Japan and, and one of the things that I just love about this book is like all the photography stuff is right. (laughs) I'm a (gasps) photographer, like I'm a professional photographer. So it's like, I can always like tell when either the author is also a photographer or they've done their research really well. Um, but like she nailed all the, all the photography stuff and, um, just like with the secret garden tie-in there's this this island garden that um is haunted uh, by a tragedy that happened um about 20 years before the story happens and so her character is going there to document the island and uh, she gets a grant to do this work and it's kind of a way for her to work through her grief and um Amber kind of reached out to me after she read Parting the Veil. She's like, hey, would you read this? And so um, I think our books have parallels. And so like a lot of the the similar themes about like grief and working through trauma and like forgetting about some of the things that have potentially triggered some of this trauma in the past, like it's really good. And again, you know, I no spoilers, but um, the child spirit in the book is very much... uh, there's you know this whole aspect you know you're a mother and I am too and like when you read something and it's it really gets you in the feelings yes <laughs> you know when there's a child spirit involved you know we've got the creepy child ghost too which is another thing oh another great book <laughs> speaking of creepy kids as I don't many know books read... as you want to talk about yes. Paulette. I have look at this list I I... I'm trying to narrow it down yeah. like what I talk about I know I can, and I keep thinking of books as we're talking yeah. yeah but baby teeth I think the author pronounces her name Zoya stage okay. it's another kind of middleist book that came out I think it came out about three years ago okay um but it's about a creepy creepy kid nice yeah it's not it's not a haunted house story but it's horror and it's okay. really well done so yeah uh, so that's another one but yeah so the secret garden of yanagi and i really enjoyed that and i think it's coming out in october mm-hmm. so for everybody uh and amber's a lovely person too so, so get the pre-orders in for that yeah get the pre-orders for, sure. in for that yeah um i mean awesome. paulette there's so many books that Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, but I'm just sitting here going, what do I, what do I narrow this down to? And kind of going on what you're talking about, I'm going to talk about two at once, um, because they have, they're doing different work. Um, but I don't, so I want to talk about like when the reckoning comes kind of like Alma Katsu addressing historical things in the context of ghost stories. And do you know Mm. when the reckoning comes? No, I okay. So when the reckoning comes is Latanya McQueen. 
And that okay. is a contemporary story where um, an African-American woman is like leaves home after a while. Like she's grew up in the South, had a really close friend, leaves home, goes, does her adult life and then comes back because that friend is getting married. She comes back for the wedding, mm. but the wedding is on a plantation. And so she's got feelings about obviously, you know, about where this wedding is being held and how that, you know, how that makes her feel um, is already haunting enough, right? But the ghosts mm -hmm. of the slaves from the plantation haunt the house and, and everything. And so, you know, there's a lot of history and everything that's discussed in a lot of social contexts that I think is very important and has value. One of the things that I've talked about with Isabel Gañas is how important that is in a, in a book, but what we also don't want or like is for people as, as people of color, that the expectation is that this is what we have to write. Right. Um, and I don't want people to think that this is, this is what we have to bring to the table. It is, we can bring this to the table, but we want to do it on our own terms. And so, yeah. you know, Latanya, Latanya's story has value and it's important and we should all be reading it. And I want to see more stories like this, but I don't want anyone to feel like this is what they're obligated to write. I mean, they write mm -hmm. it if you want to, it's, it's on our terms and it always should be to balance that. Then you have, you know, I, I want people to also seek out like cherish read wrote that story. I'll come back for you, which I featured, um, you know, a few months ago on the podcast, I had an interview with her and, you know, mm -hmm. she's a black woman writing a haunted house story, but this is just a straight up regular haunted house story yeah. with a very sexy romance in it. <laughs> you know? Awesome. She does get sexy on that one. There's sex on the page like three times. And I'm like, this book's barely over hundred pages, <laughs> but she's stuck in there. Right. But Sounds it's good weird. to me. <laughs> so engaging and so fun. Like we can have fun with our haunted houses too. And so like, there's a lot, I just want to make sure that people understand like, yes, we can do all of the social commentary, but we're going to do it on our own terms. And if we want to, we can also write fun stories and, mm -hmm. and, or, or stories that even if they're not fun, they're telling a different kind of story that whatever we, we just want to tell stories on our own terms, just like everybody else. Yeah, and absolutely. so, um, you know, but I do encourage people to check out both of them, both when the reckoning yeah. comes and I'll come back for you. So there's, um, one of my other recommendations that I recently read is white smoke by Tiffany D Jackson. And that is a phenomenal book. And speaking about like the social commentary and commentary on racism and such, mm -hmm. um, in that novel, um, it's so beautifully done and done in a way that doesn't necessarily center the trauma, but it also like, it's so smartly done. Like the, it's brilliant because you, you see all of the anxiety that her main character, Marigold is going through. And a lot of this like trauma, and, and this is a YA title as well. Um, late YA, older YA mm -hmm. title. And I really enjoyed how well Tiffany structured the story and the pacing to reflect the, the horrors and the problems with gentrification, mm -hmm. you know, because gentrification is a huge issue in yeah. bigger cities and also like in suburban cities yeah. and like 
it it's it's a very frustrating issue in a lot of ways like because yes we want we want to rebuild our urban corridors and help like revitalize downtown areas but not at the cost of driving out people that have always lived in those communities and so as an Austinite, i can tell you that is a massive problem yes i can imagine and that's been an issue in new orleans as well um yeah so that, there are yeah yeah post hurricane yeah post post katrina new yeah. orleans with the influx of uh white affluent people coming to new orleans um and moving into historically black neighborhoods and so there are just kind of some issues that she touches on in white smoke but it's at its core it's a haunted house story and it's so well done and it had me on the edge of my seat and i was scared to death the whole time i was reading it <laughs> i had so much anxiety that was one i absolutely could not put down um, and i really love that part of her inspiration behind mm -hmm. white smoke was the twilight zone because i think the twilight zone Ooh. had some wonderful social commentary and uh, I think the episode that she was inspired by was The Monsters Have Come to Maple Street. I think that's the name of okay. the episode. But yeah, it's about, it's basically about neighbors turning against neighbors and like being suspicious. And, mm. you know, there's lots of like aspects that she touches on, like redlining and all of that mm. kind of stuff that happens in communities. And, but it's so, it's done in like, such a wonderful way and i'm just so like i love that book it was it was great one of the best haunted house stories i've ever read oh, and a wow. great twist my goodness what a twist yes so i love a twist and you provided one of those with parting the veil so <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was good and you know kudos to you and anyone else who can write a mystery into their ghost story because i can write like straightforward ghosts as far as like the dread and everything is built for other reasons. But the mystery is always like, wow, these are smarties writing these mystery elements too. A lot I of that came late. hard and tricky. Yeah, it can be. Congratulations. I, I, thank you. Um, I don't like there, I think there are a couple of the twists. I, I definitely think a lot of people saw coming, but like the, the twist at the end, I, so far I have only spoken to one person who kind of saw that. Yeah. Um, but my next book doesn't have as many twists in it. So I hope I'm not going to disappoint people. Yeah. <laughs> like not all my books are going to like have those massive like twist after twist after twist uh, plots, but um, there is a twist in it. Uh, but it's my next book is probably like my most political thing that oh, I'll wow. ever write. And it's well, very that cover. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that cover was amazing, Paulette. Like it feels like an album cover or something. Like I just, I want to, I want to consume it whole. <laughs> so A lot of people have commented like Florence and the Machine vibes. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, totally. And especially with her new album, like all of the, like that pent up like rage that we have as women, you know, that just has to come out. Like, and I feel like when it comes out in art, it can be really, really effective. And Amanda Hudson, she did my cover for Parting the Veil as well. She's just a brilliant artist. And like, she gets my aesthetic, like she gets it. And like, she just brought that cover. And I, I opened up my email when I first got the draft of the cover. And I was like, yep, this is the one. 
this is Anna Lisa, you know, this is her, you know, and she's one of the characters in, in The Witch of Tin Mountain, and she is a ghost. Um, oh and my so, gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to give too much away. Oh, I cannot wait. Oh my gosh. Did you have any other ones or? I have one last rep recommendation and it's uh, her fear, her fearful symmetry. So it's about um, a set of twins who inherits their family, their aunt's um, flat in London. Like, so they are overlooking um, the cemetery there and the very famous cemetery and I am blanking on the name <laughs> it in was England? even in my book yes was it, it was High, Highgate High, Highgate yes yes <laughs> Highgate uh cemetery and so um, of course I know what it is right <laughs> yes yes so yeah and there's you know the the flat is haunted and they don't know who is haunting it and there's a little bit of a romance going on. There's a killer twist. It's very, it's very atmospheric. It's very lovely. It's, it's totally different from the time traveler's wife. Like I know a lot of people that that book kind of mm-hmm. makes them feel a little bit squinky. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but she does a really good job with that one of making uh, things be a little bit ambiguous and a little bit amorphous like but in a way that really draws you in and this is one of Don Kurtigich's favorite books too mm-hmm. um but it's kind of one of those that I think it was still a bestseller but like not like the time traveler's wife it was like her sophomore novel and a little bit softer but yeah Sometimes that happens where you have this juggernaut and people still Mm -hmm. need your other work, but there's always a thing you're most famous for. I mean, you know, that one had a movie fairly early on, you know, that kind of thing too. So, um, the last person I'm going to talk about is because I'm also wanting people that are listening to this show to look forward to, uh, later in the year so several months ahead I'm going to have Diana Biller on twice um awesome yeah one of the things she's going to be on to talk about her episode is entirely going to be dedicated to writing gothic romance she's written The Widow of Rose House and The Brightest Star in Paris both of which are ghost stories and I've talked about The Widow of Rose House before but um, and that is very much a gothic romance haunted house there are proper ghosts and she also has very hot sex scenes on the page (laughs) she that is a you know in that is sold in the romance section instead of the horror section I think because even though it's 50 50 I would say like horror romance um I think sex on the page people are you know the objective anyway is the happily ever after of this story so um you know that makes sense but her follow-up brightest star in Paris also has ghosts and it has a lot of them but those ghosts are funny and so, like I properly yeah. laughed at the things that these ghosts would do and say and so those ghosts serve a different purpose in in her second book than in her first so I'm really excited to talk to her about like writing ghosts that have two like entirely different personalities and whose function in the book serves different purposes um because the first one is definitely gothic the second one Mm -hmm. is not it has ghosts but they don't serve that gothic purpose um right the second one is fun in that 
So the first one is Gilded Age New York with a scandalous widow. I mean, what's not fun about that right there? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And she's wanting to write a book uh, and, and the house, which she is working on, that's a dilapidated old mansion, of course, is the, is where the ghost is and, and the, you know, where the haunting is. And in the brightest star in Paris, your the main character is a, uh, a ballerina in the Paris opera ballet. So fabulous, you know, <laughs> Victorian, yes. very pretty setting and everything. But yeah, those ghosts have an entirely different purpose. So I'm excited to talk to her and look out for that. That's towards the end of the year. And then I'm going to have her on in the spring for oh. her third book that's coming out. So I'm very excited about about both of those interviews with her. So that sounds wonderful. Yeah, I read The Widow of Rose House and I really, really loved it. It was great. It's such a, good a great time. gothic romance. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> lots of things planned. <laughs> yeah. And they are sequential in that like the brother of of the hero in Widow of Rose House is this is the hero of Brightest Star in Paris. And so I'm excited oh. to see like how who's next, who's gonna get the, the next story in her third book. So the cover, it's out, it's gorgeous. I can't wait. And it's more the cover's more in line with her first book. The second book they did an illustrated cover, which is mm-hmm. all the rage and romance right now, but the first one had a very gothic look to it. And so does the third so I'm excited no that's great yeah I love when authors tie in like characters from past books uh Lydia Kang does a lot with uh, her her books and so it's it's great like to see like those characters like come back or like descendants of those characters and such and I just don't think I'm smart enough to do that quite honestly it's just like I I think say I think it just you know because thinking about and I think that's why I'm more of like a standalone fiction author too it's like I'm so afraid that I'll forget something important <laughs> like in the continuity yes. aspect and it's like oh yeah that's <laughs> like hilarious some savvy reader will read like one of my books and then read the next one I'm like um actually that's her cousin not her <laughs> not her aunt you know something like that like you would need I think like having a family tree would be really helpful in those circumstances but I admire authors who are able to to do that so well whether it's series or just offshoots of of books within the same universe it's so great I I, know I am binging Lisa Kleypas right now which is all which is romance Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever read any of her books but the wallflower series is a very beloved series by Lisa Kleypas and the third book in that series it has a hero that is very beloved Sebastian St. Vincent um, very beloved Mm -hmm. in you know across romance fans that's um and that book is the devil in winter so i'm reading or listening to an audiobook because mary jane wells is narrating them uh i'm I'm (laughs) easily binging her her ravenel series and what's fun about that and and again like like you were saying all of her series like a lot of romance will have like continuity of characters right Mm -hmm. the ravenels I'm I just finished the third book and it the hero of that book is the son of Sebastian St. Vincent and that story from her wallflowers book said they the worlds collide and I'm like what (laughs) and it's amazing it's amazing the, the, the voice and everything it's like how did she go so perfectly back in and capture the voice of these of these characters you know it was amazing yeah 
but that's that is amazing but, but... <laughs> okay yeah yeah she's great yeah yeah I was like <laughs> she's got those skills I don't know how she does it but <laughs> yeah. it is amazing well thank you so much for coming on I really enjoyed it and it was everything I knew it would be to help me navigate this crazy world we're living in Paulette so thank you so much thank you for having me again Agatha it was wonderful to talk to you it's always wonderful to talk to you thanks for joining us today on she wore black you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at sheworeblackpodcast.com We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading. Mm-hmm.